Yeah, Rosenberg interviews. Very excited today. And by the way, to everyone watching on YouTube, YouTube I just want to say, um, to get the entire thing, go on iTunes, subscribe to Rosenberg interviews. That's where I'm going to be putting up all my full interviews these days. And uh, very excited to have a, a true OG in the game, which I'm sure it's probably still weird for you to hear that because you think of yourself as just a hip-hop kid still. But yeah, yeah. Peanut Butter Wolf what is up? in the building. How are you, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, thanks for making some time to come through. You and I have always like connected over the years, um, or over the last five to seven years, I guess, at random times on social media. Exactly. But, but never gotten to interview before. When I saw you had a gig last night with Prince Paul. Do you guys do a lot of shows together, by the way? No, it's just pretty rare. I mean, we do like maybe like once every three years or something. But yeah, I mean, I, I've known him for, well since the '90s, I guess. So, so I, I kind of wanna I, I wanna hear everything that you're doing musically. I know you have um a bunch of artists uh, right now that you're working with, but I wanted to start the beginning of the story for you sure. and, and hip hop because I really don't know. Um, the first time I became aware with you aware of you was in the early Stone's Throw days. Yeah. Um, like post charisma, like the yeah. loot pack days. Absolutely, yeah, loot pack. That Mad, was Mad Lib. Yeah, because I was a college radio DJ. So the, oh, nice. the, the first thing that I remember ever playing related to you was when I be on the mic. Yeah. That was the beginning for me. But um, take take us back from there. Where where exactly did you grow up in Cali? Yeah. And tell you us know, take us through the story. Sure. Well, I grew up in San Jose, um, which is right next to San Francisco. But um, this guy King Shamik, he he was like the guy that I used to do my demos at his house out of, in San Jose, and then he moved to New York and he started working with production me. demos. What kind of demos? Uh, no, I was working with different rappers. Okay, yeah. you bring rappers. Yeah, through. yeah, okay, yeah. But I just remember King Shamik moved to New York. He started working with Two and Hype and King Sun, and you know a lot of a lot of um, people on uh, major independent labels. And so we're talking like '88, '89. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. My the first record I did was in '90, but that yeah that was like late '80s, and I just remember he was like you know when we were in San Jose, he's like we're all gonna make it, and then he moved out to here, and you know in my eyes he made it because he was working with. A lot of the rappers that I liked at the time and stuff. So it really made me feel like if he can do it, I can do it. You you've always been really into underground stuff. Absolutely. Um, so like, what was the when you were in high school? Yeah. What was the underground stuff? Because now we're talking yeah. mid eighties. Absolutely. What yep. was the what was the un I probably won't know any of it. What no, was the underground stuff you know. <laughs> in the mid eighties? Um. Well, I mean. If if you look at my high school yearbook, uh, my senior quote was "Schooly D rocks the posse," and that was like in '85. And it was all he really had out was uh, Gucci Time and um, PSK, a 12 inch of two songs. You know that that really resonated with me personally. And back then, I guess it was called hardcore. You know, it was before they, they put the term gangster rap or anything on it. But it was like him and like um, man, just a lot of stuff. Uh, Just Ice was another one. You know. Like, just the real raw stuff, I guess. So were you still checking for, you know, like, the Tila Rockets, yours, and Absolutely, stuff like yeah, that, too? Yeah, all, the, all yeah, of Tila, it. Yeah, all that stuff. But, like, where I lived in San Jose, like, that stuff was really unknown. Like, there there wasn't any radio that was playing it. There was no internet back then. So it was just really, like... So was radio just, like... They weren't playing in the clubs. So was it just, like, 80s-ish pop R&B and things like that on the radio? It was, yeah. I mean... In my high school, uh, Bon Jovi was huge, stuff like that, you know. And when I heard hip hop, it just was so much more raw and I don't know, just more personal. And yeah, was... uh, did the Beasties blow up in your high school? They did later, and actually, I was kind of on the Beasties early too with Cookie Puss. And you so, know, of when... course, you were on the punk rock side of it. With I like the, with that. Them. I like that as well. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I was into punk. I was into new wave. I was into all that new order and the cure and all that too. What do you What do you make of the connection in the early '80s between punk, new wave, and hip hop and stuff that 
has to some degree dissipated since then. But there really was a time when even yeah. all the way like through early Boogie Down Productions, there yeah. were these connections between the punk rock movement and hip hop. How can you draw a line for people who did not live through it, why it existed? I mean, I think a lot of it, well, Fab Five Freddy had a lot to do with it, but a lot of the 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 art kids were really into hip hop too. So he he kind of bridged that. For me, I mean, I didn't live here at the time, but you know, just kind of what I was watching and stuff, like even like uh, the ESGs and the um, Liquid Liquid and stuff. You know how like they did a well, they they did like the post punk type stuff, and then Grandmaster Flash did a cover of it later with White Lines, and you know, so it, it was like accepted early on. I think the new wave stuff. Where were you even when you say watching stuff? Where the hell were you even seeing anything? In, in terms of, you didn't have rate, local That's radio. True. It no, wasn't yeah, local radio. Yeah. It wasn't on MTV yet, was no, it, in I mean, any it regard? Was, it was just tapes. I mean, I, you know, I, I remember people would bring tapes like, this is the news-ish from New York. Like, you know, we all, like, just worshipped anything that was coming out of New York at the time because we knew that hip-hop started in the Bronx and, you know. I mean, there was a book from, like, 1986, this guy David Tupe wrote. I remember I, I had that, and I would write down the, the songs, and I kind of learned about, like, going back and buying older records like Bob James and Apache and all that stuff. So so when did the digging part start? That started in like 86 because, I yeah, I was buying records in the late 70s as a kid, uh, but then I started buying older records in the mid-80s. Like that, At that point, I, I wasn't into like the new soul and funk as much as I was into older stuff. Wow, that's so awesome. If the, the idea that you were collecting older stuff in the mid 80s is yeah. such a blessing because the access that you must have had, because at that point, 1986, a record from 1970 is yeah. the equivalent now of a record that came out in 2002, which is not that hard to find. Right, exactly. And, but, and where, but you where were, I was in San Jose, it was very hard to find. And I think that that was kind of part of the appeal too. I think it, so. Even, so back then, there wasn't like a plethora of used record shops that you could go not pop into all. and find stuff like that. No. So how would you go find stuff? Um, I mean, even like if I, like I would go to Long Beach for, or Newport Beach, which is next to Long Beach on vacation. And I remember I would just, just in the yellow pages, like, you know, look at the R section. And uh, the R section would always be pulled out because everyone would want to see where the record stores were. So that was always difficult too. It was hard to even, hold on, this is something that kids today could never <laughs> even fathom when you download everything. Yeah. You couldn't even find the, the R page store. in the yellow pages. <laughs> they would always, they would always be gone. Yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing now, you, I mean, you probably, of course, at, at this point, know in every city that you go to basically where you want to go. But for me, when I arrive in a city, like next week I'm going to Minneapolis t for WWE, I yeah. get in the day before the event, and when I arrive, I just go on Google Maps, type in record store, and yeah. just start going. That's it. And back then, back then, <laughs> the no. yellow pages, and they're <laughs> you like, had to know somebody who oh, knew somebody. That's so crazy. Yeah. So were you um were you collecting at that time seven inches and twelve inches? Or were you just on twelve inches then? Where were you at? By that point, I was buying well both really. Yeah, I mean. Uh, when I started buying records, I was only buying seven inches because that's all I could afford. You know, I was like saving. It was my like lunch what ninety nine cents, dollar ninety nine. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I was like nine, yeah, ninety nine. Um, but that's yeah, when I was in fifth grade or something. But like, yeah, by the mid eighties, it was all about twelve inches. No one cared about forty fives anymore, especially for hip hop. Like anything that was on a forty five or a twelve inch, you would always want the twelve inch because you'd want the extended version. And for the record, though, like, doesn't it feel like what a mistake we made culturally? deciding that we needed the 12 inch because from a collection standpoint had i never had to deal with 12 inches i feel like my mother's life my life like everyone's life would have been so much easier yeah 
I know. And now, yeah, I mean, when I travel, like, I'll never travel with 12 inches. It's all, it's either 45s or just computer. And and honestly, even from a shopping perspective, when you're in a different city, yeah, getting more than a few 12 inches is annoying. You're, yeah. I'm already like, ugh, this barely fits in my bag. Like, exactly. And I just wish, granted, it's cool to have instrumentals and everything, but, like, by and large, if that had stayed a thing, right, like, even if it radio, because obviously back in the day, radio played all 7 inches. Yeah. And if through the 90s, they had still pressed up, like, you know, one side's the radio edit, one side's the instrumental. Like, right. it would have saved money, too. I got In every regard, I think it would have been better. Yeah. Um, and the sound's better. Like, everything's better about it. Yeah. But yeah. I was the same way, of course. Never had an interest until the most recent fad of four or five years ago yeah. in collecting 45s. Yeah, we're all going back now, scratching our heads like, why do, why do we I, do and, and you're like, oh, and you can cut on these. Once you practice for a while, you yeah. can finally develop. It took, takes time. Yeah. It is definitely, I believe it is definitely harder than 12 inches to cut on them. Yeah. You know what I just found to be the hardest part about it is that I literally, after four years of digging for 45s, becoming a nerd, buying a jukebox, like doing every nerdy thing you could do, I just now, after four years, am getting into buying doubles and trying to cut with them. Right. And I realized it, it's because it's 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 a new task. And what I didn't realize, and it's so obvious is that by being 45 RPMs versus 33, the way you twist, the way you spin the record back rotation-wise is confusing. It, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It's too many rotations. Yeah, yep. if it, you're used to yeah, pulling it back one and a half times or whatever it you is. You now yeah. have to double yeah. it, or not double it, it's like, but it's, it's in between different. too. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, sorry, we'll, we'll, we can get back to records later, but you're, 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 you're digging, you're building your collection, you're into underground net rap now. Are there then local groups in Northern California underground-wise that started to pop, and who were they? Um, well, King Shamik, like I said, but yeah, there, How there was How was King Shamik? Um, he, I mean, just in my neighborhood, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Because, yeah, we were all like 15. We, Did they, he press we, anything up? He started pressing stuff when he went to New York, to, to my knowledge. But okay. there, yeah, there were guys who had records out, and then I actually started working at College Radio, um, in like 89, and then I pressed up my first record in 90. There were a couple guys, and... What record did you press up first? It was called Lyrical Prophecy, and it's uh, it's San Jose rap, but it, it's it definitely has like one of the rappers sounded like Rakim. You can't swing this. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Let's see. Let's take a listen. What this sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like. Uh, well, it's, I don't know. It's supposed to sound like Public Enemy and Eric. B. That was Rakim. the that was the influence. That was the era. Yeah, yeah. Nautilus, huh? Yeah. Like flipped and sped up. Now, did you produce this or someone else? Uh, me and this guy, uh, Raleem. And he, yeah, he kind of, he changed his name to King Assassin. King Assassin and started doing gangster rap in the 90s, and he worked with Tupac and a lot of guys. And what happened with this record? Did anything happen with this record? Yeah, so we did 500 copies, and then we we were so excited. We had our name on a record, and, you know, we, we were all happy, and then we didn't know anything about distribution. or So we brought it to the local record store. We sold, like, five copies, and then the rest we just sat on. And did he did, did a buzz develop at all or not? Not really a buzz too much. Well, we were, you know, we were doing college radio and um, I guess like within the radio station and stuff, but 
for me, like to actually have a record out that was hip hop on vinyl and to be able to show all my friends and stuff like the, the word did get around, get out around town and then people would start coming to me like, oh, I want you to make my music. And so it meant more as sort of a you getting your like your legs and this being a thing that you saw you knew how to do process wise than it was like an actual yeah it wasn't movement like, of any sort but our thing was called you can't swing this and then mc hammer came out with you can't touch this like a like six months later or something and we didn't know if he like heard our song to get the idea or, but that i guess that was Whoa. kind of that was kind of a saying i guess in the bay area but was that was there a thought among underground circles that hammer may have gotten it from y'all we all thought it but i don't i don't think yeah i mean in looking, retrospect, looking you know, back I, I i highly doubt it yeah. Did you like Hammer's early stuff? Or like, do you like Turn This Mother Out and stuff like that, or no? No, I didn't like it at the time. Like, kind of going back, I, I like it more now. Like for what it is, but it's because like, it's you entertaining were, and like, but fun. you were already so underground we that like that so, was yeah, yeah. You were in the weeds already. The way actually, way. my dad like when uh, when we were trying to come out, he's like, oh, you know, there's only one MC Hammer. I'm like, but I don't want to be MC Hammer. You know, like at yeah, that, like there's at that room point. for other stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I just couldn't. It was yeah. The parents don't understand situation that you were um but my family they didn't like they didn't really want me in music but then my dad actually lent me five hundred dollars to press up that first record so you know, oh really he actually yeah so he was supportive in that way but poetical movement records gmr records yeah i mean could there be a more 1990 record label <laughs> title ever all right so what happened after that after that uh charisma was one of the guys that found out about the record and he uh, a friend of mine from high school brought charisma over my house and i started working with him and charisma was from he was from milpitas which is like right next to san jose i mean i lived on the border of milpitas and san jose as so well. someone just told you about this dude and that they knew him yeah and the guy who actually brought him to to me was a rapper that i worked with before him like that i worked with when i was in high school i was like 20 years old when i met charisma and charisma was 16 so um and he always like at that point i was working with like 10 different artists and i wanted to do like a molly mall in control of things where like i produce all different rappers and stuff and that was my you know that was my goal to put out an album like that and then when when i met charisma he's like oh you know because i every time i'd be like oh i can't see you today i'm meeting with um newbians the truth unit that this day or i'm meeting with dishi or whoever and um so he was like, well, one of these days you're going to drop them all and we're, and we're just going to be together, just us two, because I'm the best one out of all of them, you know. Did he turn out to be right? He turned out to be right. And, um, yeah, it was it was that power of positive thinking, I guess. You know. What? So what's the first record that we should listen to if someone wants to hear Charisma for the oh, first Charisma? time? Um, I, I like Methods, but it, it's... So that's the first one that comes up. Is it? Okay. On the, on the cool. YouTube. Let's see here. It takes it's it's got a long kind of intro that the, the drums don't kick in till like halfway through the song, but rap battles. I saw MCs going at it. Who's playing new records? I arrive in Bar Static. Who Frisco to Oakland like Rocks to Manhattan? You know what's happening? Charisma style of rapping. AOB. You know your man Quan that's simply tall. He should drop the mic and pick up a basketball. I guess y'all mad luck to my crew. Everyone's real cool. All we wanna do is to be in a record pool. I guess y'all, this is my design to make my niggas rewind. Labels pull crimes. It's time for me to resign. The style's deep even when we fall asleep. Dreaming of the usual, a rap beat. 
got class with my mouth so relentless. If you're not down, you're expelled off my premises. I come with bombs when the singer style's hectic. I'm clean cut and suave, ain't the type, man. I got methods. What year is this? Uh, that was recorded in 92 or 93. No, 93. 93. So it's really, from a sound standpoint, it's a, it's a little ahead of its time in terms of the, the indie sound that it has mm-hmm. that became huge in the Fat Beats era of 95, 96, 97. Yeah. And that, that's why, I mean, he passed away in 93. And um, So how soon after you did this record did he pass away? It was pretty soon after. That was one of the last songs we recorded. And did a whole album did get done? We we had over an album worth of stuff, yeah. And uh, you know, I assembled an album after he passed away. We were signed to Hollywood Basics, which was um, Funk and Klein's label. He was, it was Klein organized was confusion. DJ. Yeah, organized confusion. Funk and Klein fusion. comes up on me and Sife's podcast. Juan Epstein. Funk and Klein became a recurring character that many people talked about. Really? Yeah. yeah did yeah, you yeah. ever meet him? Or no? No. Dave Funkenklein, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, his name comes up all the time. He sounds awesome. Because I think, yeah, I think he was doing radio with uh, Public Enemy, and then he moved to the West Coast, and he was given his own record label deal. You know, I mean, as far as, it was through Walt Disney, but he was, like, in control of choosing all the artists, and he was, like, the president of it. So the only thing that exists on vinyl of Charisma is an EP you put out in 06? Is that correct or no? No, we we did. I, I did an album in '03 that came out. I, on, I put out the full album of all of our stuff. Yeah, it was on like, wax. Yeah, it was like ten years after he passed away. And it's uh, Charisma's with a Z, right? Yeah. Why on Discogs is the only thing listed? Maybe Charisma and Peanut Butter Wolf. Ah, uh, let's see if it does it like that. You know, Discogs is wacky. <laughs> there it is, Charisma and Peanut Butter Wolf. Why did you put yourself? And there's there's much more stuff there. Why did you um? Why were you in the name of it? Did you consider yourself part of the? Yeah, we were a group. It you were a like group. You Pete were gonna rock and see. You smooth. were gonna be Eric B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna give you more Eric B than Pete Rock. <laughs> no, no. Were you musically how involved were you? Oh, I did all the music. You did all he, the music, and he did all the rhymes. Oh, yeah. so you were straight up a a Pete Rock and Seal Smooth. Yeah, yeah. We were, like, yeah, or like, yeah. I was gonna say like Gangstar, but there's only one Gangstar. But yeah, we were <laughs> we were doing what we were doing. Okay, so um, it's listed here on. The so you had a project, you had a song on the Lifers Group album. Is that what that means here? No, it we, says we were on the same label. Oh, there oh, was it's a sample. Like it's a, a sampler t- tape, yeah. a sampler cassette. Yeah. Um. So, but the guy, um, Money B, was uh, from Digital Underground. Yeah, and he was bumping our our tape with you know in in the tour bus for Digital Underground, and I guess that's how their A and R found out about it, and that's how we got signed was because of them. So how far along did, with Hollywood Basic, was it just, the only thing I see here is, that came out at the time, was, really, it was organized, was about the only one, and Raw Fusion, and Lifers. And 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 your your song only got on a single promo, like a, a promo yeah, cassette? Yeah, we, we had a cassette single, yeah, so they didn't, um, so what we didn't know is that Funk and Klein had terminal cancer, like mm-hmm. he had a terminal illness, and so... A, a lot of stuff got held up, and we eventually got dropped, and then he passed away. And ha- at that point, had Charisma made it to the ears of a regular hip hop fan in that area, or was it still? Oh, yeah, very- we were. No, we were. We it was moving. Yeah, we were like on. Um, yeah, 
uh, Sway and King Tech were really supporting us. We, you know, we did interviews with them like in 92, 93. So he would go up and, and you guys do interviews and he would rhyme, et cetera? Yeah, and then we did a lot of shows. Every time, like when Black Sheep, when the Choices Yours first came out, we would open for them for, you know, like 2,000 people or something. How did that, how did that, was that a relationship that just developed because they heard the record when they were out there or something? No, they didn't even know who, us, who we were. It was just like the, the promoters in the Bay, they would always book us for everything, like Cypress Hill, um, House of Pain, all those shows. We would we'd always be the opening act. And did you get the sense, like, had had things gone a different way? I mean, I, had yeah. Charisma lived, do you think this could have really become a big thing out there and or nationally? I, I thought that he was going to, yeah, I thought that that's, that's those were my goals and dreams there to, for him and I to, to make it. And we had our little list of things we wanted to do. We wanted to be on In Living Color at the end, you know, where, of course. where, where they perform and all Which, that by the way, was a, was a reasonable goal at the time. Because, I, I mean, they would, <laughs> yeah, they would put was... on, like, good underground Absolutely. rappers made it. Yep. Adore performed on, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right like, on, I think yeah. Ziggy performed on yeah. In Living Color. Like, you could make yeah. it. Um, so how did he pass away? What what happened? He um, He was... He was carjacked, and he resisted the the carjacking, and he was shot and killed. On just like a and and do you remember? I'm sure, obviously, you do. But how did it play out for you? Like, how did you I mean, hear it, about it? Yeah, um, his mom called me, and you know, I I I kind of kind of remember it and kind of don't. I I remember she asked me to call his girlfriend at the time, and you know, she didn't. She was it was really difficult for her, obviously. And, she was, and she just didn't feel able to make that phone call. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, because um, that's a that's a that's, that's a, a. And did you make that phone call? Yeah, and I made the phone call, and I remember because Charisma and I always had a, a warped sense of humor. We would joke around about stuff like that, and and she, his girlfriend, thought for sure I was just messing. She's like, "This, it's not funny to like joke around about that." And, um. But yeah, it, um. How old was he at the time? He was. 20 when he died so we were together for four years before that like as a group how and and what toll did it take on you personally i mean obviously i'm sure at the time you're concerned about his girlfriend and his mom but you guys were very beyond business partners you yeah. guys at this point are together all the time I and mean, that relationship yeah. of, of artists slash yeah. you're, you're kind of no yeah we were, i mean i uh, yeah we were best friends at the time absolutely and yeah how does how does and, that how do you kind of get through that yeah um i just tuned out for a while yeah i didn't really i i, I was a, just stayed in the house and didn't do much um and then eventually i started making music i saw i i noticed that making music was like therapy for me so i got back into making beats and stuff there are people out there who really have gone on to feel because and like i said you know age-wise and location-wise because he was such regional music at the time and didn't quite yeah. make it to that next place yeah. like had hollywood basic had it lasted longer yeah. and he would have put out a single and video, it would have made it to the place where like the 13-year-olds like me on the East Coast would have gotten to You would have heard of it. But least. it came up just short for me at yeah. that time. But yeah. in going back, my brother and I were just discussing this a few weeks ago. There are people who have really also gone back and looked at it and thought that the role that he could have played as hip-hop unfolded yeah. could have been a pretty prominent one. I remember Cheo um, Coker, he hit me up after and he said he wanted to do a, like a screenplay on on charisma and stuff. I, at that point, at that point, um, Big Ear Tupac hadn't passed away yet. It was it was really like one of the first MCs that I could think of that that died, you know, tragically when he was, well, I was almost a teenager, like 20 years old. 
what was he like as a guy, as just a, as a kid? I mean, he's a kid. He's a, he's a kid. So yeah, he was a kid. I and mean, it's we so were, weird yeah. because now you're this grown man yeah. who's been in it, but he's forever. I'm like almost, yeah, I'm 48 years old. Yeah, you're 48 years old, and he's forever 20. Yeah. So it's weird yeah. to even look back and think about that, but what was he like? Yeah. Um, I mean, he was just really funny. He was, yeah, everyone who met him always, he, he made a lasting impression on everybody. But I, you know, when I tell these, when I start talking about it, I always feel like, I don't know, I see a lot of movies or TV shows where they're asking about someone who passed away. It just seems, it feels weird even talking about it, I guess. But how, how widely available is the album that you put out at this point? Is it something that's, that's still widely available? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's on um, digital and everything? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I I want to sit with it. I've never said literally I've never yeah. really heard of charisma. I yeah. just know the story that he yeah. he was your first artist who passed away is yeah. kind of all I know. So right. I'm excited to sit and listen. Yeah, to it yeah, yeah. Right away you get like sort of um, these like awesome underground East Coast early yeah, doom sounded, kind of vi like yeah. vibes. He sounded like the Juice Crew or like early Lord Finesse. Like yeah, he was all about DITC. A lot of people compared him to Big L. Like um, you know. So so that's. When's when's the next time you resurface musically in a in a serious way? Um, after yeah, after he passed, like I guess I put out this record called Peanut Butter Breaks in '94. That was a big underground thing. It yeah, because people were really seeking breakbeats that had like you know drums that weren't used and stuff. A lot of people bought it just to sample the drums and um. I guess for DJing too, but yeah, that that was kind of more of a tool, I guess. Um, and did you did you label what they what the breaks were at the time, or was it just made up names? No, no, it was it was like more my production, but I would like leave drums open for people to sample and stuff like that. Got so. it. So you would just put together beats, leave the beats on there, but then leave drums yeah, open be so music could, and then yeah, and then there Sorry. could be breaks for people to take. Yeah, but you didn't say what they were. No. So you didn't pull the thing that Primo complained about on the Moment of Truth album. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. To all you DJs, give <laughs> exactly. them the real names of the samples. Violating. Violating straight up and down. Yeah. So, all right, so you do you do that. That's 94, instrumental yeah. album. And then take and then, us take us past that. Yeah, and then I started doing songs for uh, compilations. I, I did this picture disc. Like, in, in the UK, there was, like, a... This was after DJ Shadow introducing it had come out. So a lot of people were looking to the Bay Area, what's next, you know? And, and I remember DJ Shadow wore a, a T-shirt that said Charisma and Peanut Butter Wolf for his promo pictures for introducing. So that kind of generated a lot of interest for us in Europe, you know? And then this this label signed me for the UK. Well, a, a couple different ones. Is that I, Southpaw? Too no, Cool? No, it was Too Cool. So, yeah, yeah so I did a... Um, a picture disc with them, and then... There it is, the Lunar Props EP. Yeah, yeah. Gotta love Discogs. There it is. Yeah. A very U-ish cover with a dog holding something. Some peanut butter. Some peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> Do you love dogs? They went really... Uh, it was That was a wolf. It was oh, that's wolf. To be, I uh, oh, you I mean, are a wolf. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it was the peanut butter wolf. You know yeah. what? Peanut People butter always... and a wolf. It's not a peanut butter dog. <laughs> I'm really smart. so literal with it. <laughs> I'm really bright, too, though, because I put it together. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that, and then from that, I really, I started Stone's Throw the next year in 96, basically. Who rapped on this EP? That was all instrumentals. Just all instrumentals, too? Yeah. The Chronicles, I Will Always Love Her, so you play, yeah. played into the common record? Yeah, yeah, and it was like how I'll, I'll always love hip-hop. Because um, I, I know Common did that, and then, you know, talking about how much better it was back then, and, and um, 
You're basically dissing Common on here. I mean, let's be honest about it. You know what, Common? <laughs> F you. I will always love her. Um, why Peanut Butter Wolf, by the way? I, I, we never even asked that. How, how did that become your thing? That was my girlfriend at the time's little brother. He was telling us about the Peanut Butter Wolf, and it was like the boogeyman to him. So we, we just thought it was ridiculous. And, um, well, I, I thought, yeah, my girlfriend and I thought it was ridiculous. And then when I told people that story, they thought it was ridiculous. And then Charisma basically dared me to make that my name. And you were like, I'll do it. I could be Peanut Butter Wolf. Yeah. And I mean, it, it worked out point, pretty well. We, yeah, we were like giving everyone the middle finger. So it was perfect. What were you before Peanut Butter Wolf? Chris Cut. Just Chris Cut. Yeah. You know, I got to tell you, we always, on Juan Epstein, Seif and I would always ask people for their old names and kind of make fun of people. Yeah. And that's not bad. Chris it's Cut's pretty, not I, I kind of like it. I kind of like Chris Cut better now. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's never too late to change. Um, all right. So in the late 90s is when it the Stones Throw thing really started to happen. Yeah. And was that a completely you venture? Uh, I started in 96 and... At that point, we did only vinyl. There were no CDs, no... Well, there wasn't digital at the time. There was no iTunes yet or any of that. Um, but we were really big in the DJ turntablism community. So, like, Qbert and all those guys, they all supported our records. Uh, and, you know, the executioners, Rob Swift and all them, they would use our, our records in their battle routines. And I think that's really where we got our start where we got known was with the DJs first. Yeah, that that's definitely where I can picture the the records first. Yeah, you could see in the DJ battles cuz like on our records we would always on one side we would put all the information and on the other side we would put a big stones throw logo. Yes. So when DJs were scratching with it, it you'd they see, yeah, you'd you see would the logo. see stones throw. Um but that's not why we did it. It just like kind of happened that way. What's the rarest stones throw release on vinyl? Um I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to I'd figure... i have to look on Discogs and um, see what's worth money. All right, so it says... It says here... Correct me if I'm wrong, and again, this I probably am because I'm showing my ass over and over again. Here listed in 1996 is the Charisma and Peanut Butter Wolf um, My World premiere single. Yeah, that was the first Stone Throw release. So you decided... what What made you realize you wanted to drop a Charisma and Peanut Butter Wolf record several years later? I just always wanted to. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was three years later. I, I was I was hesitant because music had changed so much at that point, but I felt like the songs that I put on that single were, were still, like, they still worked for for the era. And it really did, because like I said, it was a few years ahead. Yeah. So it's not like at that point it sounds dated at all. In fact, it sounds like a 1996 record, to be totally honest, yeah. honest with you. Yeah, and I was nervous, like, that the people would, yeah, I think it was dated, but I remember getting a phone call like someone wanted to do a record release party for it, and I was like, yeah, let's do that. And then they said, well, is Charisma going to perform at it? And I said, well, he's he passed away three years ago. So at, at that point, it, it kind of validated for me that it, it sounded good enough to, you know, it still that sounded... Someone would not even still think. 96, yeah. And, and there's a variety. There's, like a, there's a bunch more records here than I know. Like the stuff that I know from this early era, meaning that in my world right. it made an impact in college, is the Rasco stuff. Yeah, Rasco was more known. And Loot Pack. Yeah. Um, this Rasco Time Waits for No Man album was a thing. Like that yeah. definitely became a, a college radio underground yeah. kind of thing. Um, well, he got, he got picked up by Universal for Europe, so that helped a lot. How, how big a success? Was that the first success? Like was that the first like thing that you were like – you truly feel moment. I mean, obviously, I think you so. charisma you had success with, but you only—it's yeah. a limited 
outcome because he'd already passed away. Yeah. I mean, Charisma, like, we actually went to Europe in 92. I remember that was my first time going on an airplane, like, overseas. That was, like, so exciting for me, you know, to, to perform in Germany and stuff, like. So there were nerdy German hip-hop heads who had <laughs> gotten on to what you and Charisma was already while he was alive? I, I don't think they knew who we were. I think the label just put us out there to, like, you know, to introduce us to, to the territory and stuff. Wow. And so you got to do a little, a little, he got to do like was, one little promo run. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I remember, um, cause it was with money B and he was like, oh yeah, our dancer Tupac, like he, it's so difficult. Like he's gets into trouble everywhere. Like this was like in 92. Yeah. Wow. That's 91. Yeah. Maybe 91. I mean, Tupac already had put out music, yeah. but he still was known as a digital underground guy. Yeah. It's one yeah. of the things that it's one of the reasons I, I get very frustrated with the way the Tupac story is told is there's a lot of nuance that's been lost in it yeah. because he's such a huge, larger-than-life character yeah. that you end up being like, wait, there's all these parts you guys don't even remember. Like, had no. you been into hip-hop at the time, much more of Tupac's career was spent with being like, oh, yeah, there's this guy, Tupac. Yeah. Then it was like, oh, my God, Tupac. Right. Most of his career was he was like a mix show rapper and mm. a guy who was down with Digital Underground. Yeah. who had projects that people liked. And people will go back now and tell you, I always knew and blah, blah, blah. But really, you're talking about pre-95, mm -hmm. he was a cool rapper. Right. Like, it really wasn't thought of, of this is the second coming of or first coming of anything. Yeah. And I don't say that to discredit him at all. Yeah, Quite yeah. the contrary. It's just I hate that the stories, the build gets lost because it's like, mm -hmm. well, he's always been a legend. It's like, no, 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 you have to. Yeah, he had records that. Not flops, but didn't, you know, that, yeah. And you listen to them now, and you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, this sounded like a lot of other right. cool music that would have fit in with other stuff. For me, the records of Pac that really were impactful in my sort mm -hmm. of life as a hip-hop fan were like, you know, Keep Your Head Up was a big record. I Get Around was a really yeah. great. And they, they, we actually, Charisma and I worked in the same studio where they did that. So Was he there when you, did you ever see him? No, around I there never no? met him. I never met him. Never met Tupac? No. Um, what was Rasco like? Like, did did the unassisted was a big record? Yeah, and that was kind of like because of the DJs too, like because the turntablists and in, in particular, it was a great record to like, cut. Yeah yeah, 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 they would cut that intro and stuff. That was um, that was a real you know bring it back kind of record. Yeah. Um. Okay, so it keeps going, and then Loop Pack. Who were all the members of Loop Pack? Loop Pack were three guys. It's DJ Rome's Madlib and Wildchild, and Madlib did the beats. And uh, Rome's did the cuts. And Wild Child rapped. And then Mad Lib well, and Mad Wild Lib Child, too. Yeah, yeah. And Mad Lib rapped yeah. in character as Quasimodo as well. Or not? Yeah, well, the, no, no, yeah. There, There is a little Quaz, I think, on the Lupac album, too. But, yeah, Quaz was... Basically, Quaz was something that um, he did on the side, and he he, he just kind of did it for himself. And I, I remember I was listening to a, a tape of Lupac, and then Quaz was on the other side, and then I asked him about that, and he's like, oh, shit, you weren't supposed to hear that. And you were like, I was like, what, what no, this, I want. What is this? I want more of this. But it came pretty quickly afterwards. You didn't yeah. wait too long between loop packs. I feel like no. in, my, in my brain, when I'm when I be no, on the mic yep. and microphone mathematics don't feel far apart. No, they're very close. Ha 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 ha! Yes, yes. Return of the B-Boy style. Props to all the B-Boys and T-Girls in the house. Check, yeah. I got the vibe. Check, one, two, check, one, two, three. The vibe with the style. Check, one, two, check, one, two, three. 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 Check, one, two, check
Already yes, past lunch. I eat and seeds like Captain Crunch. I attack and I punch. Rapping is such different style that's unlike yours. Whack and seeds, I point you out and point out all of your flaws. All of your jaws get broken. Styles, no joking. Battling, straight up battling is what I'm provoking. But I'll die before this whack MC infects me. Hip hop industry to the point I cannot breathe. But if Wild Child dies before Wild Child wakes, I pray to God to step down and take down all them fake MCs. Pretty please. Rosenberg, 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 Rosenberg. So how did you meet Madlib? Take us through that. I met Madlib through his dad. So I, I worked at the record distributor. I actually put out, well, Lupac's dad, or uh, Madlib's dad put out the first Lupac record. And that was... Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, that was in 95. Okay. And I was working at a record distributor, and I, I heard it, and he, he didn't have any distribution, so I took it for the distributor, and I sold like, I don't know, 1,000 or 2,000 copies or something. And after that, they were like, they they wanted to take a meeting with me about being on Stone's Throw. So his dad brought them all, and he was like, his dad was super cool. Did that record in 95 make noise or no? Only like to like real underground hardcore hip hop. Like heads. nerds yeah. working at a record yeah. distributor or a record shop or yeah. something. That, that's yeah. it, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his dad was really, and his dad was actually a singer too. His dad was a, a soul singer. He has some 45s out in the 60s that are What's his worth name? a lot. Otis Jackson. Otis Jackson. Yeah. What label? Let's see. I don't remember, but you know what I, I could yeah. find out. It's good though. Really? Yeah. And I was actually in a record store with Madlib one time, and they played his dad's record in there, and and Madlib went up to the guy, and he's like, "That's my dad." And then Otis Jackson Jr. No, Otis Jackson Sr. Yeah. I want to see how many records his dad put out. Um. Okay. So he had a couple, I think, but but it was cool to see Madlib bragging about his dad because like if it was his own record being played in the record store, he would never he wouldn't say shit. I truly believe, and I hope to one day get to explore it more, that Mad Lib is one of the most interesting characters in the history of hip-hop. Do you oh, think, man. Is that a correct uh, assertion? He, to me, your... he's like Sly of uh, hip-hop. Right? In, in every way, like his music, and then also just how he's just 
kind of stays to himself, doesn't really get out, you know. Begging for a Broken Heart is a record by his pops. That sounds right. And Message to the Ghetto. Yeah. Sounds like Flame. The titles yeah. alone <laughs> and the record itself on Mega Records. It's kind of like Sweet Soul stuff, I guess. I'll tell you, you probably know this much better than I do, but when I started digging for 45s, you realize how much the dearth of amazing soul 45s, Yeah, it's absolutely endless. There's no way to keep up, yeah. And, like, you will go through them. You can pick a record based on nothing but the look and title, mm -hmm. no knowledge at all. Yeah. And in a certain year period, the likelihood that it's good to me, feels so fucking high. Yeah. Like, the odds are, I just put out a podcast last week that I'm going to try to recur uh, and keep doing where I, instead of just digging for records and then going home and listening to them by myself, I just recorded myself listening to them oh, because nice. they're random-ass records. And I'm, yeah. by the way, most of them are probably to someone like you, not that random. It's like Joe Tex records. Right, right. Artists that diggers know, right? Yeah. But that the average yeah, person yeah. isn't really listening to that sure. often. And some of them, know, though, didn't know at all. And by look alone and year, if you see it's like 1974 and it's like a dope, colorful looking 45, right. you could basically assume it. it's pretty good. Yeah. And you're usually, do you find you're usually right? With reggae too. Like right. With the reggae 45. I agree 100%. Now yeah. reggae is even more frustrating though from a digging standpoint because the, the amount that's there when you find them it's almost overwhelming no, to pick. A, yeah, for every soul record, there's like 10 reggae records, it seems like. So if you have an artist you really like, right? Like, I like Cartel a lot. So mm -hmm. if you try to grab every Cartel record you see, yeah, for, I mean, forget it. You might you need a new it's wing of your happen. house. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so anyways, let, let's get back to, to Madlib. So you meet with his dad and, and them and come to an agreement to bring him over to your outfit. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was kind of awkward because I knew that his dad was putting out his stuff up until that point, or their stuff. So, but they were, yeah, he all they were all really cool, all, all four of them. And how how um how dope were Rome's and Wildchild also? Because obviously Madlib ends up becoming the star. Yeah. Although you know the name Wildchild rings bells for sure if yeah. you're ahead from that time. Yeah. But um yeah, like how talented were they? Because we we mostly talk about Madlib, of course. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're both super talented, and actually, Wildchild, his son is really talented. He's uh he's an actor. He's on the show Blackish. He's the kid in the show Blackish. Well, that's an unbelievable nugget. <laughs> the kid on Blackish. Yeah. His dad is Wildchild from Loot Pack. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That's very interesting information. I had no idea about. Um, and at what point to you did it become clear that Madlib was a very interesting fellow? 
Uh, right away, just because he had so much material. And, I mean, the Lupac album was great, but he was working with Dudley Perkins, a.k.a. D-Claim. He, he had albums with Kazi, he had albums with M.E.D., Ono, like, um, probably, like, he had 10 albums done at the time that still, to this day, have never come out, you know? From M.E.D. and D-Claim and, like, artists that... All, all, the all artists those artists? That, yeah, like... That we eventually that, got to hear. All, yeah, they're all, like, his crew out of Oxnard, which is, you know, kind of... In the middle of nowhere. And uh, what, what was the friendship like with Mad Lib? How close did you guys get? Uh, we were really close for a long time, yeah. He got to be the back. I mean, he ultimately, for a long run, there was the backbone of, I think, yeah, what a lot he, of people thought about yeah, Stone's Throw. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he was synonymous with it. Are you guys no longer close? Uh, I would say we're not very close, yeah. I mean, I know that the music, the business relationship is no more, correct? Um, or are you yeah, still tied it's, it's together? Not, not much, no. Not much business with them these days. And I, I, I don't really need to or care to uh, get into the details of the business yeah. uh, things that happen. I mean, we're still cool. Like, we, we still text each other every now and then. It's not, you know, there, there never was really hard feelings, but he was given an opportunity to start his own label, and he took it, you know. So the one, I've met Mad Lib on... Two or three occasions. Yeah. One was when I was working with a rap group. I was working with a bunch of rap artists. Uh, you know, Kev Brown, critically acclaimed, these underground artists, very yeah. much in the yeah. peanut butter wolf lane of interest, right? right, right. Like awesome, soulful, super underground indie acts. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to get Mad Lib the records. Um, and mm -hmm. I do not know to this day how my buddy Quartermain set it up. Oh. But we ended up getting to go meet up with him oh cool and we brought him the records at this bar in la and he tell me if this sounds right yeah my memory this goes back to like 2000 2001 yeah it was it was him just sitting at a bar by himself like a sort of dark la bar by himself right and we sort of like didn't know which one he was because he wasn't the most visible dude never has been yeah in terms of like when you think of mad lib i mean half the time you think of him is of a character that doesn't exist right so it's hard you know from a rap fan that's one of the yeah. one of the things that makes him an enigma and then we just kind of like went up to him said hello chatted for a minute gave him the records and like left him to his drinks by himself does that sound like a quintessential mad lib meetup experience yes and yeah. uh it just added to the interest and intrigue for me of who this guy is yeah. i mean he's a man of few words and and until you really get to know him, then yeah, he's like everybody else. Um, what do you think? What do you consider to be the most special piece of work that you guys did together? Um, man, there's been a lot. I mean, you know, most people really like the the Mad Villain album, I guess. But um, I, I, I personally, I mean, I love the Mad Villain, of course, but I also really love the the Quasimodo stuff and. Yesterday's new quintet. There's just yeah, a lot of it. He's so pro it's, it's he's so prolific. Yeah. Um, and and nothing that he did for Stone's Throw was under the name Madlib. He just never wanted to be like an artist. It was always just like producing for other people or making up other names for himself. What did Mad Villain sell? Um. God, I don't even. I mean. Yeah, and I don't know. <laughs> and at the time, was it mostly a? The Mad Villainy album. There's 21 different versions of this release. CDs, multiple L, you know, LP re-releases, etc. Yeah. What do you think the bulk of it was? On vinyl at the time? Or the CD? I'm going to guess CD, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Is it up there for the most um, successful thing Stone Star ever did? That and Donuts probably, yeah. 
Rosenberg. 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 Living off borrowed time, the clock ticked faster. That'll be the hour they knocked the slick blaster. Dick dastardly and muttly with sick laughter. A gunfight and they come to cut the mix master. I see E. Cole. Nice to be old. Why 2 GSD twice to threefold? He sold scrolls, low and behold. Know who's the illest ever, like the greatest story told. Keep your glory gold and glitter. For half, half of his niggas will take him out the picture. The other half is rich and it don't mean shit to villain. A mixture between both with a twist of liquor, chasing with more beer. Tasting like truth for dear when he at the mic. It's like the place get like, oh yeah. It's like they know what's about to happen. Just keep your eye out like I, I capping. Is he still a fly guy clapping if nobody ain't hear it? And can they testify from in the spirit? Living the true gods, giving y'all nothing but the And how did the did that project come just from Madlib being like, yo, I'm gonna work with Doom? Did you have a relationship with Doom? How yeah, no, we didn't know Doom at the time at all. And I and you know, Madlib just had so many beats and it was just hard to keep up with his level of output. And I was like, Well, which artist would you want to work with if there's anybody? And he said Dilla and Doom. And so we reached out to both of them. And I, I already had a relationship with Dilla. I'd known him since like ninety five. And, um, it, through digging, through through house shoes. So house shoes, uh, when, a DJ from Detroit, of course, yeah. was very close with uh, Dilla. Yeah, uh, when I put out Peanut Butter Breaks in '94, uh, house shoes called the the number on the record, which was my page or whatever at the time. And <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. By the way, it is so house shoes. You know who I've gotten to know over the years yeah. that he would call the, call the, the number on the peanut butter breaks record is like <laughs> it's like the most DJ nerdiest thing you could do. Like I need to find out. <laughs> All right, so he pages you, and so well, you guys connected at a from record then. store, of course. Yeah, and y'all connected from back then. Yeah, and he like so he he called to get copies for the record store, and then he was like. Oh, by the way, I have my man, uh, this guy JD. You got to hear his beats. He's like, he reminds me of what you guys are doing and stuff. And so I always heard about JD, and he would play songs over the phone, like let the whole song play. You know, I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it. Um, he was always like Dilla's number one fan. Is you know, uh, to me, like grow, growing up in the the Bay Area in in California, I didn't know anybody who knew JD that way at that point. So, what did you think of JD when you first started hearing his beats? Like, were, did you instantly go, this guy's a genius. He will be lauded no. as the greatest. No, no, I didn't think that. I I, I mean, I heard, but I, I, I just heard the stuff on the phone, I guess. But the stuff with Tribe that I heard, I liked. But then I always liked the earlier Tribe. Uh, and a lot of people my age like the earlier Tribe. Younger people like the later Tribe. It's one of the most amazing little footnotes to the Dilla story mm -hmm. is that as amazing as Dilla is, and I, I could argue he's the greatest to ever do it. Right. M most people really preferred the first three Tribe albums, and they see yeah. the albums post-Dilla as the beginning of the end of Tribe. Yeah. Which I think is so incredibly ironic, funny, right? right? Yeah. And, is, and even if you love Dilla, yeah. you still are like, well, I like those Tribe albums, but not the way I love. It ain't, that's true of me. Yeah. And I love yeah, yeah. I really love all the Tribe albums, and yeah. especially including the last one, right? Love mm -hmm. all the Tribe albums. Yeah. But I will say the first three have a different, distinctly different feel than on Beach Rhymes in Life when you get Dilla and Consequence added to the equation. Yeah. It totally changed the feel of the group. Yeah. Um, however, at the same time, Dilla does records for Busta, The Far Side. Like, there are all these Everybody, other records. Everybody, and it seemed like the, his best stuff was 
that he kept for himself almost. Like I, I really like when I heard the Slum Village stuff. That's when I really appreciated it more than the, the stuff he did for like like the song Running. I I never really liked that song too much. Wow, but, why it was it just kind of side. what for by Dilla standards? You did you just find it basic? Yeah, it just I don't know. I just never was into that song too much. I liked Drop more, but um, yeah. Um, but it's very you, by the way, because the Stan Getz sample is such a, uh, it's a straight ahead sample, right? It's a straight ahead feel yeah. good sample. Yeah. The, whereas the the fantastic project, one, two, et cetera, the EP, the, the single they put out, the white label was so dirty. Like yeah. all of it was so it was, raw. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, it has like the fucking, whatchamacallit from the MPC on it. Like it's everything about it. Super raw. Right. Um, the metronome. But so when did you start building a relationship with Dylan? Not until... No, so in 95, um, Shoes came, he, like, yeah, he was telling me about him, and then it was either 95 or 96, maybe 97, but he he came to me, and he was like, I have all these unreleased uh, JD remixes, because he would do remixes for Busta, or um, I forget who else was on it, uh, D'Angelo, like, a lot of people, and but... The, he would do them for the major labels and the major label would hear it and pass on it, right? Mm -hmm. So he did them on spec and so he was sitting on all these remixes and, and Shoes was like, let's do this thing and let's press it up on vinyl. We'll sell it only in Japan so so the labels in the U.S. don't find out and get mad at us. And and Dilla was part of it. He was cool with it. And, you know, so we split the money three ways. And that I think that was like 96 or 97. And you were like, I can get it to Japan for you. You yeah, already have the link. Yeah, and I flipped a thousand copies like real easy. What was it called? Just uh, JD remixes. And there's an original, ver was it on Stone? You didn't call it Stone's no, Throne? No, it wasn't Stone's Throne, no. It was, um, but it was like a green vinyl, I think, or blue or something. And it's just got a bunch of those, which you can find those now on a, a they, lot of... They keep getting repressed. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, now, yeah. Now they're available. Yeah. You can pretty much find all that JD stuff. But that, that was my first workings with Dilla. And then when Lupac came out, he really was into that. And so we got to talking and then in the early 2000s when he was working on his solo record he wanted to work his his idea for his record on uh, mca was he was going to rap and he wasn't going to do any beats on it every track was going to be a different producer that he looked up to and so he he asked madlib to be one of them and madlib and i flew out to detroit and actually we were supposed to fly on 9 11 and, and the, the flight got canceled and and then madlib refused to get on a plane for months he's like nah I, i'm messing with this and you know, we and we eventually went out there. And um, is the result of that trip, Champion Sound? Is that the beginning of? That was the beginning, but no, yeah, that was for JD's record. But then JD's record got shelved, and the we MCA were, album. Yeah, the MCA album. We were getting frustrated because I was calling JD like, you know, what's up with the track? I, you know, what's new with you and stuff? And he was dodging my calls. So then, uh, why was he dodging your call? Oh, uh, I think just because he didn't have any info for me i mean you know he he was he was in a holding pattern I, I i dealt with the same thing when i was on hollywood basics like just being stuck and so it's hard yeah, to tell just someone being stuck. yeah so but i mean we didn't call him all that many times but then we were like well let, let's just put out a a bootleg of the one song that we did together or, or actually no madlib rapped over a bunch of jd beats and i think i was trying to get a hold of him for that too but we ended up putting one song on a, a vinyl bootleg so I could use it when I DJ. Like, I think we did 200 or 300 Which copies one? of it. I think it was, I think Madlib rewrapped the message over one of his beats or something. But. Check it out, y'all. 
peanut butter. Uh, he's up in here. Up in here. DJ Bones. He's all in this. All in this. Wild child. He's up in here. Kazi. He's up in here. Check it out, y'all. Don't know They up in here. In here. Guys here. He's up in here. Damn kick. All up in this. Wow. Epitome. Check it out, y'all. Poison ass. Everywhere, uh, people yeah. wasting their whole life. It's like they just don't care. Uh, Riffing about the weed smell, pushing for my music noise. I got no instrument, uh, but I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches uh, in the back. Yeah. Crackheads in the alley with a baseball bat. Uh, I tried to get away, but I couldn't out, hit the road. Cause the sucker had uh, to stop like carjack me for my load. Don't push me just cause uh, we yeah. close to the end. Uh, I'm trying check it out, not to lose the skin. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> it's not worth it sometimes. It makes me wonder if we're all going we're under. It's not worth it sometimes. It makes me wonder if we're all going we're under. Like my sister around here, stuck on tell IV doc says she watches too much. It's just not healthy. Soul train in the daytime, 2020 at night. Can't even see the Lakers game or the Roy Jones fight. We got bill collectors to ring my phone. Scared my wife when I'm not home. Landlord always riffing people downstairs hating. Can't take the bus to the job. Hijack at the station. Yo, what seems wrong? King Kong standing on my back. Can't stop and turn around. Your hands up. Big guns all up on my back. Like when we suffer mental pain, physical strain, burial lays, very few days. Good thing. Sometimes I think I'm going insane. Don't push me just cause we close to the end. I'm trying not to lose the skin. I'm in. It's not worth it sometimes. It makes me wonder if we're all going under. It's not worth it sometimes. It makes me wonder if we're all going under. To my nigga Jay Rock. It out. You really yeah, don't remember the message? No. To argue with my favorite, that may be my favorite J-Lib song. Oh, really? Oh, my <laughs> I think God. It was that one. I, I, I have the, there's a 45 of it. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. It's a bootleg then, but there's, really? a, there's a 45 of the message. Wow. It's the, it's the message on one side and JFK on the other. JFK to LAX was on the, yeah, that was on the, um, wow, there's a 45 of that? Yeah, hold on. Someone must have booted it. Um, they bootlegged our bootleg. Yeah, that's but that JFK to LAX was on that bootleg also. And then Dilla heard the bootleg and he called me up. And then he's all, you know, his message was something like, what's up with that uh, J-Lib bootleg or something? And, and then I called him back and I was like, yeah, yeah, like uh, we only did 200 copies. And he's all, no, no, I'm not mad. That's cool, man. Let's let's do a whole album like that. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, I'm serious, man, but let's make it official. You know, and then that's where the official song came from. And Crazy. To clap your hands in this place. Come on. Yeah. Tell me something good, baby. Cause I so got something good for you. I want to bring to you. Yeah. My nigga. Jake Dillard. One of the most left, y'all. Okay. Patatay, patatay. I'ma sign your video to run it down. Holla, get it, popping off from the bottles to the collars. Clap hands, nigga. Get live with it, party with your mans, nigga. Uh, it's the official. Hands in the air, let me see the wrist flow. Turn me up another notch in your system. You say you want the hot shit, then listen. Mad Lib and JBZ doing it like we doing it for TV. And you don't want to change the dial. World for men, niggas rearrange your styles. 
Should have never been allowed in the game. All y'all fake gangsters out. We shut it down like the enemy. I know all my real niggas feeling me special. Time for some real niggas in the game. It's the official. Who let Matt and Dilla in the game? It's the official. Bringing that shit since back in the days. It's the official. official. Uh, by the way, you should have this though, because this bootleg the. It's th there's one there's five copies on Discogs right now starting at thirty three dollars. They need it's, it. It's a small hole, forty five. But oh, yeah, okay. it sounds good though. The message yep. sounds good. I, I'm tempted. I might try to cut the holes and put that in my jukebox. I love that record so much. Yeah. Um, and then J Lib obviously becomes this incredibly special thing. I mean, and the J Lib album and the Mad Villainy albums. I I almost they were think, done at the same time. And they're like companion pieces as a hip hop head, right? And we had to we couldn't put them out at the same time. So we how much time did you give between them? I think like five months or something. Um, what was, uh, what was Dilla like as a guy? I mean, we, I know Dilla was a complicated and interesting yeah. guy as well. Yeah. Um, it's, in, to me, it's hilarious as a hip hop guy who is also, I, I, we're similar in several ways, like these passionate, caring about the culture, white dudes who really want to be involved and, and help with artists and, and also do well in it ourselves. Mm hmm but I know I know what it is to work with people who can be complicated, brilliant, but also complicated. Yeah. The idea that you were the liaison at some point between the two of them to me uh, sounds yeah. amazing. Well, I think between Hit Madlib and um, Doom is harder because they're both mm. like harder to get a hold of. Like Dilla. Well, Sorry, Dilla's how did I leave out Doom, <laughs> who's the most complicated of yeah. the three? But Dilla, Dilla was actually hard to get a hold of too, and I I, I never really called him because I didn't. Um, want to be that dude that bugged him or you know i mean everybody wanted a piece of dilla when oh, when mean, i was working with him even from the late like from yeah. from 96 97 98 yeah. it was it was pretty clear like people want to get a hold of this yeah guy. yeah did you ever get to go to a strip club with dilla he took me to the strip club and uh yeah yeah he took madly when i the strip club actually that's when we went to detroit that was like one of the first things he did that's what everyone says yeah it was, it was go to detroit yeah see the crib See the get picked up in the Dillalade, you know, go to the strip club in the Dillalade. Like, what, what more can you ask for? Are you able to now, like, just sit back and appreciate that you got to, like, have that moment? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those moments. I mean, like, going to the record store, too. Like, that was the thing. Like, I was saying, or I started to say earlier, like, I wouldn't really call him. But whenever he called me, I would answer. And whatever I had to do that day, if he'd be like, hey, let's go to the record store. Are you doing anything? I'm like, no, no, I'm good. And then I'd like cancel my dentist appointment or I'd, you know, cancel everything that I had that day because it was like, you just got a call from God, really. How, and how close did you get with Dilla? Um, I mean, we were close, like, yeah, I don't would you describe uh, yeah, it more I, as a business? You'd almost have to ask him. But would, would you describe it? Would you have to? No, it was no, it was a lot beyond business. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so so yeah, that, well, no, we hang on, we hung out and. Well, so that part, I, I really don't want to be Joe um, gossip underground interview. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like I'd be remiss because I don't know how many places there are to document these things. Yeah. They're obviously now the relationship went awry with the Dilla estate, mm -hmm. as it did with. You're not the only person who it went awry with. I know Ma Dukes and, and House Shoes are no good. I know yeah. that there are several relationships that I've heard about being no good. Yeah. Can you give us some insight into how you saw the relationship with Dilla and his estate in the years since his passing? I mean, when Dilla was alive in the, the final months, his mom was there for him so much. Like she slept on a cot in the in the 
you know, in, in the hospital. And like, I always just felt like I, I just seeing that I was just always like, man, you know, if I ever get that sick, I hope my mom would be like that as well. And, and I, you know, my mom would, but it was just really touching to see how, um, how much she did for him. And, and when he passed, she was just so strong. Like everyone, she was the rock that everyone was leaning on. Um, and so that's why it was difficult. Like after he died, like she, she was in charge of everything when he was alive. And then when he, he died, like it just got all like complicated and stuff. And other people became involved. Yeah. And, and, and I understand like he has kids too. So the kids, they, they are entitled to money as well. And no one's saying that the kids shouldn't be, um, you know, involved in it. But, um, it was just, yeah, it was, it was kind of hard for me to like see all that stuff happen. And I just kind of didn't really want much to do with like Dylan music after he passed away. Like I, I didn't want to deal with, you know, how things were just bouncing around from this person to that person. And so is there, is there any particular issue at this point or there's just no sort of contact? Um, and I don't, I don't, so I have a GM that like deals with all that and I don't even, I haven't even asked him like recently, I guess, um, I, to my knowledge, everything's cool. Like, and the Dilla and the Dilla estate, I'm assuming receives their money from donuts, which still yeah. sells and stuff. Yeah. 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 To this point, like, like there was a donuts came out on all 45 yeah. and things of that nature. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't like there was beef with anybody. Um, it was just, I didn't really want to put out new, new old Dilla music after that. Really. And do you still have Dilla music? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I actually have a CD that says donuts that he, he gave me like the old demo and I, I, I've been wanting to hear it, but I, I just can't get myself to put it in the CD player and press play. Wait, wait, it's a, it's a different version than the, I, I have like a couple of different CDs that he gave me. So there, there's probably different versions. Yeah. And they all said donuts on them. Yeah. And it's his handwriting. Like I, I looked it up to, to make sure. Cause you, cause you have at some point you just found that you have them. Yeah. I'm guessing just looking through my old stuff in the garage and stuff. Cause I'm guessing there also has to be other dats and just sort of various things from over those years. Right. Yeah. I'm sure that, I mean, yeah. After, after he died, I just kind of didn't really want to be involved too much anymore. Cause I guess at that point, anytime you feel like delving into one thing, it's opening a bag of lots of stuff. And it seems like right now, other people, it's not like... I just wasn't ready for it, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd lost charisma and, you know. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and how, how and how hard was that specific time? Like, I'm guessing it was a pretty brutal time to go through. It seems like when... We, we knew he was sick. Yeah. But then it still seemed shocking when he died. Yeah. Was and it shocking I, yeah. at the time? And I or got if you the call from, from his mom. And, um, yeah, she, she asked us to come to the hospital. Who else was around? Common? I don't remember Common being there that day. I just, I remember like after she kind of had everyone come to his house. I mean, Dilla's mom was like really, really like gracious to me to have me involved. Like she asked me to pick out the flowers for the casket and asked me to pick, pick out the casket and stuff like that. Like it was like really special stuff for me, you know? Um, do you still listen to Dilla's music? Yeah, of course. What What do you listen to the most? As a guy who is close to that music, what do you What Dilla do you listen? If you were gonna If you were gonna play someone, I mean, there's just so much unreleased. But if someone said, so, "I want to hear," I've heard about this Jay Dilla. What do you think I should listen to? What do you start with? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. 
Because I don't know for me if it's donuts as much as I love donuts. I don't know where. And because like Cypher Sounds and I always, Cypher's not a big Dilla head. Mm -hmm. So like the Dilla stuff that he would like would be so arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Like what the thing was that he'd feel. Because there's no dying. Dilla is not my first hip hop CD. Mm -hmm. Dilla is for someone whose ear is, not that Cypher is simple with his taste, but my point being it's a different sort of taste. It's not yeah. for everybody. It's not everyone in the world isn't going to hear a Dilla record and go, I love this. Yeah. Even though I think it could be the best stuff ever made. Well, Donuts, when we put it out, people didn't understand it. They were like, "It's the songs are too short, and it's just like, yeah, it's a mess. It's all over the place. And I, I remember Pitchfork reviewed it. They didn't give it a bad review, but they gave it, I think, like a seven or something. They maybe, didn't fully get it. Maybe an eight, and then when we reissued it they they gave it the best reissue and a 10 out of 10 so it's you know that's interesting and and i remember when he before he passed like we were trying to get that record to be heard and our distributor was like um well it's an instrumental hip-hop record and instrumental hip-hop doesn't sell and i'm like well don't look at it that way like this is i mean this is an album where you can just listen to start to finish it's not just beats it's like it's more complicated than that you know it's not yeah and, no you can't look at it as one particular thing because it's so unique and this was before he passed away and and um i just remember like all the the media like no one would review it or no one were was interested in in it and then after he died then like we got phone calls from the new york times and from everybody like wanting interviews about dilla and we were just dealing with our loss of him and we didn't want to talk to anybody really I'm curious about your feelings on that, and we'll wrap up the Dilla conversation here, of which there could be endless, but yeah, Dilla, for those who were really in the hip-hop scene, was already a thing, right? And, I mean, let's let's be clear. There are, there are a lot of people who only yep. know Jay Dilla and don't remember JD. They mm -hmm. only came right. on once yeah. the name Dilla was yeah, known. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be that guy. That's just a fact. Yeah, And there are a lot of people who... Had all once his catalog had gotten crazy and the Slum Village project had come out and yep. he had done the common records, you know, the Thelonious and Payback yep. as a grandmother, like all these records, you'd already been like, okay, he's he's a he's getting to godlike status. Yeah. I'll put myself and many other college DJs in that sort of category. Mm -hmm. However, that does not change the fact that when he passed away, the amount of Johnny Come Lately's and the the other people who then made him a god, there was a lot of fraudulence. I'll just say that there was a lot. Now yeah. they were right because he was always worthy of it. Mm -hmm. But it did have to be frustrating as a guy who would specifically your bottom line, your business was impacted by the way people appreciated JD. Yeah. It had to be like a little like, really? Yeah. All the phone calls now? Because yeah. this guy has it's been known among our circles. He's yeah. been the man now for already. What year did he pass? Oh man! Oh five! Like, yeah. Oh, uh, what's the act? God, I don't even know. Um, for I think for it's, yeah, for those no, of us who are already February six. Let's see, it is February six. Yes. So it for for those of us who'd already been fans, he'd already been a god. Yeah. So how did you like? What was there a certain level? Obviously, you're, but you're excited because you want people to spread the word. You want him to make more money yeah. for his family. But there had to be a level of like, guys, really? New York Times? We're getting this right now? Yeah. It was it was strange. Um, and, you know, we had a record release party planned before he died. No no one could have predicted his death. And and we were going to cancel it. And his mom's like, no, let's, let's go through with it. And that was like the most difficult show I've ever done. How soon was it after? 
That was about a week or two. Wow. Because, well, you know, we so we put out the record um, like three days before he died. I don't remember the exact dates, but yeah. We put out the record and then he died. And he was very clear about the fact that he wanted it to, he wanted to get it done and get it out. Like, yeah, I mean, well, we put the record out on his birthday. We, it was supposed to come out in um, November or December, and then they they say not to put records out on the fourth quarter or whatever, so we we pushed it back, to, and then we was like, well, let's do it on his birthday. And then, of course, he dies three days after his birthday. Yeah. Um, and the, the body of work that it is now is un, unreal. Um, and and then The Shining came out through who? Uh, BBE? Who, was, who did The Shining? Yeah, he had been doing stuff with BBE like all oh, from from yeah. Welcome to Detroit. Yeah. So was your deal with him such that he could just you did projects with him, but he did yeah. projects wherever he wanted yeah. to do them. Yeah. Um, and uh, what an unreal run you've gotten to have. I mean, obviously it's been filled with some tragedy. There's no getting around that. Also. Oh yeah. But definitely ups and downs. But from getting and and did you keep a relationship with Doom at all? Does anyone keep a relationship with Doom? Yeah. Um, as much as anyone has. Yeah, a relationship with yeah, Doom? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I've, I've talked to him on the phone, like, yeah, a few months ago. But You ever see him? He's No, because he's not in the U.S. No, he's never around. No. And uh, real quick, I want to I wrap with this. Couple, real quickly, tell us a couple artists you're working with that people can check for, and I want to play a tune or two. Um, I would say, well, let's start with Sudan Archives. She's a 22-year-old singer. Um, well, she she's a violin player, singer, songwriter, everything. You know, I, I guess like a lot of the artists I work with, they kind of do everything themselves so she's like that and uh what's a good tune i should play for the people if they can check her out uh i would say come my way that's like uh the thing that we have out right now but yeah she's working on her album and she's awesome and if people want to find stones throw stuff just go to stonesthrow.com stonesthrow.com and, and everything's still up there's still tons of vinyl and catch um catch peanut butter wolf in a town near you djing spinning videos or whatever maybe there's more to do, uh, and well, I, I'm, I love that you came by. We'll do it another day. But uh, yeah, no, man, it's I, it was really uh, good to get the call. I yeah, was really surprised. Pleasantly. I don't know why you're surprised. <laughs> you're you're a legend. I'm a nerd. This is this is like you're like the epitome. If you're a true hip hop head, some of these projects are so important. Um, I'm so glad you made time. So peanut butter wall, stonesthrow.com. Check them out. Thank you for making time, bro. Thank you. Cheers. Yes.